All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We've got a slightly different format for you this week on the podcast. No new Marcus Newsmakers. Uh, we're going to instead focus on a couple of interviews uh, that center around sort of the state of the of the uh, layoff situation in MedTech. We talked a bit about that two weeks ago. We had a great episode with Holly Scott of the Mullings Group. Today, uh, we're speaking with Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group. I know we don't typically have folks from the same company on the podcast so close together. But uh, Joe was uh, someone who has a unique perspective. Joe is someone who has a unique perspective uh, on the medtech industry. He uh, he and the Mullins Group have spent a lot of time building up a lot of the companies uh, in the medtech industry, finding the engineering and executive talent that lead them. And as a result, Joe and his team, they're, uh, they're in on a lot of conversations and hear a lot of things that I think a lot of us don't hear. So I wanted to talk to Joe about his perspective on where we are with layoffs, uh, including uh, some that have been uh, been banted around LinkedIn over the last couple of days. Uh, Joe will mention specifically uh, one company, Johnson & Johnson, that has had uh, some cuts. But uh, from what I've heard from others, there is more coming. Uh, so this seemed like an appropriate time to really examine the, uh, the resilience of the medtech industry. We've always been told that the medtech industry and that healthcare is uh, is recession-proof or recession-resistant. <laughs> and we can get into that a bit with Joe today. Um, and for the most part, that seems to be true, but it certainly is not uh, completely safe from the recession and from macroeconomic uh, conditions, including interest rates, higher costs for supplies, lots of things that drive up costs. Uh, that is certainly pressuring medical device companies. On the other side, uh, there are some who say that their uh, business is slowing because hospitals are so tied up with basically surviving uh, with staffing. And we'll talk with uh, Henry Sock, uh, formerly of SG2, a Vizient Group company. Uh, but now he is uh, he's retired, but still is tracking the industry. He had a great blog post that we went over. And uh, he also is working at Matter, which is a very cool early stage incubator. Uh, effort in Chicago, and um, he has a, a perspective from the hospital. So we're going to talk with Henry first, sort of get a sense of of what the provider base is like, and then we'll talk with Joe second, and he can sort of speak to where we where the strategics are, where the larger companies are, and where the startups are. Joe actually talks about the startup industry as well. So this uh, this entire episode will consist of those two interviews, and uh, I hope you find them useful, uh, informative and maybe provide a little context for uh, what's what appears to be coming up over the next couple of weeks. Before we begin Henry Sock's interview, I want to remind you that our early bird rate for Device Talks Boston is expiring next week, March 9th. So please don't wait. If you register before March 9th, you will save almost 50%. You'll save 300 bucks off a full price 695 registration fee. So it's a no-brainer. It's going to be a great two days. It's a great way to build your brand. It's a great way to network. We'll be there with our uh, partners of robotics. We'll have the Robotics Expo. We'll have the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum. 
they're putting together a uh, job fair for uh, for robotics folks. They're partnering with Mass Robotics on that. So lots of great things will happen May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center. Go to devicetalks.com to register again. Register before March 9th to secure our early bird rate. You'll save a ton of money and you'll have a great two days and you'll be just a better med techer. Go to devicetalks.com to register. Well, Henry Sock, welcome back to the podcast. Tom, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation when at the time you were working at SG2 and we were able to sort of uh, get an assessment of the uh, of the provider industry and their appetite for for new technologies. So uh, I'm circling back to you now again to, to sort of revisit that. But uh, you've got a, a new role now. You've retired from SG2 and uh, you've got a, a really cool gig at Matter in Chicago. Tell, tell us what you're up to. Well, uh, I've been uh, ple- pleased to kind of be invited to join Matter as an executive in residence there. And uh, kind of my role is to uh, provide just some guidance to startup companies that are looking to enter the healthcare space. And it's really fun to kind of listen to these companies develop their 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 product pitches and 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 talk with them about uh, the challenges that are associated with bringing your product to uh, to the marketplace. Um, some some wonderful innovation that's going on across multiple dimensions in healthcare, and kind of um, uh, kind of helping with those folks to kind of set a realistic expectation about getting there and and what they need to do to be successful has been has been a lot of fun. That's great. So I, I we'll go through the, you, you were kind enough after we uh, connected on LinkedIn to send along a, a blog post that you wrote in uh, December of 2022, the end of December, 2022. Uh, and I'll include it in, in the show notes so people can, can check it out. Uh, and, but before we do that, I want to just circle back to your work with the startups. You, 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 you mentioned you're working with younger folks, maybe who have not experienced uh, healthcare and the difficulties that the difficult market it can be for for new technologies. I wonder, from your perspective, you've been you've been tracking the industry for a long time. Uh, what are you able to tell them? Are you able to tell them that yeah, it's it's always been this hard, or uh, is it is it harder for uh, younger startups that are uh, producing new technologies and and trying to get interest from uh, from customers, uh, i.e., hospitals? Yeah, I think it's 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 much more difficult today um, okay. in the environment because I think that um, you know we've got this combination of the pandemic happening. We've got, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this as, uh, a little bit later. But I mean, we've got the issue in terms of where health systems are today in terms of their margins. So um, uh, Kaufman Hall has published some um, data that shows that last year I think it was 46 percent of health systems in this country were operating at negative margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that was COVID related because they lost a bunch of procedures uh, during uh, during COVID. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, a good portion of the health systems that are out there are operating at negative margins. And that makes it that has put a lot of purchasing on hold. And so the industry as a whole, the med tech industry, both the big iron companies, as well as some of the smaller companies that I'm working with with it matter right now in trying to enter the marketplace are finding it difficult to be able to articulate their value proposition and get traction right mm-hmm. now they're focused on margins and, and and recapturing some of the volume that was a uh, volume that was lost during covid no I, I could see that i mean if the if the roof is leaking and someone's coming to sell you a, a uh, you know whatever a new dvr or sure. whatever we're using now uh you're really focused more on the roof as it being a critical need sure. so 
your your blog post is great in that it kind of lays out the, the points we, we can cover. Uh, and again, I encourage people to check it out uh, during or, or after we finish this interview. But uh, let's just, just kind of go through the, the points that uh, it, you made. The, 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 the blog post is called uh, Healthcare Disruptors to Watch in 2023. It's not about the technology this year. And uh, one of the points, well, the point you let off with was that we are, and you referenced this, we're coming out of year three of the pandemic and healthcare systems are still under pressure to care for patients. Uh, I think we all sort of have gotten in our head that we've moved past uh, the burdens of, of the pandemic. But as you point out, that's not the case for, for healthcare, the healthcare system and hospitals. Yes, that's right. Uh, you, you know, I think that uh, while we've seen that procedure volumes kind of have come back to pre-pandemic levels right now, I think that, um, I think that uh, what we've experienced in terms of uh, kind of the delay in care, um, some of the challenges that health systems are having related to uh, kind of some supply chain issues yet, which are still out there, uh, have have created a an issue where um, uh, where we're still we're still challenged, I think. And and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I, I think the the staffing issue remains critical and that's one of the areas where uh, where there needs to be a lot of work done yet. Well, that's a great point with the, with the staffing, and uh, and again, the dynamic there is that these hospitals are, are are so busy trying to put out these fires brought on by the 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 shortage that they're having that they don't have the time or or the bandwidth to to even connect with medical device companies, big or small, that are trying to bring in new technologies. Yeah, it's difficult to get an audience these days. I think because um, you know the primary focus has been on um, recapturing some of the volumes that were lost during the pandemic. Um, the the big issue is is the staffing issue. Um, yeah. uh, it, it really is. It really is to the point where um, uh, procedures are still difficult. Uh, you know, lead times for elective procedures these days are still fairly long. Trying to staff the institution, uh, many organizations went to traveling uh, staff, especially nurses during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't slowed as far as I can tell in terms of the data that I'm seeing right now. And that has an impact on obviously uh, the margin question that we talked about before, because the cost of staffing the organization right now, especially if you're using traveling nurses and other professionals, uh, it has really been high. So trying to capture them has created uh, some of the issues around margins as well. Interesting. And then your, your next item, as you alluded to earlier, more than half of the U.S. health systems will be operating in the red in 2022. Uh, this is from uh, data from Kaufman Hall. Can you identify Kaufman Hall for, uh, for our listeners? Sure. Kaufman Hall is a, a consulting uh, firm out of the Chicago area. Um, uh, they've, they've been around for a long time. They specialize in, in operational efficiencies and, and, and cost uh, things. They're a partner of my former uh, employer, SG2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so they've been working together to kind of uh, look at what's happening in terms of the, uh, the, the business end of, of healthcare and the margin end and what the challenges are and how to address them. So I think on the surface, we can all understand that if, if a system is in financial, uh, having financial difficulties, they might not have the resources to spend on, on new technology. But but how, how does that play out more broadly? Because I mean, some of these technologies will say, oh, we'll save you money because we'll allow you to do, we'll enable you to do more procedures or we'll enable you to do this. But I guess when you're kind of resting on, on a knife's edge like that, you don't want to take a gamble on on new technologies that may or may not work for you as as is being promised that's that's absolutely right tom I, so i think uh, uh you know the old paradigm of 
uh, we we understand your problem. This is going to be the solution that fixes it. I think in today's environment is challenging to prove, first of all. And secondly, with healthcare organizations uh, trying to manage their staffing levels appropriately to be able to bring their volumes back to where they were at pre-pandemic levels um, uh, and, and dealing with those staffing issues, uh, getting an audience to be able to implement new technology has been challenging. Uh, and so um, uh, I love uh, following the work that Christina Farr does does at Omer's Ventures, mm-hmm. she uh, uh, she put some uh, some information together that uh, that was essentially the conclusion was nice to have items uh, aren't going to cut it these days. It's mission critical items mm-hmm. that are getting the most attention and the most budget dollars these days. Most of that revolves around staffing because staffing costs have gone up incredibly uh, because staff is in short supply, so they're paying them more. Uh, a lot of that is related to uh, revenue cycle management. So with you know. 46 or 50% of hospitals operating at, at negative margins, as you might expect, they're interested in any kind of tools that can help them with revenue management to get accelerated payments and, and help with the, with the margin side. And then you have the other issue, which is, uh, which is cybersecurity. So a lot of health systems right now, because of the increase in cybersecurity attacks on health systems, mm-hmm. are focusing whatever available dollars they have on the technology side to protecting uh, their environment. And a lot of it is going to IT-related cybersecurity safety issues. Yeah, that was your, your next point. So that just means that, again, that their resources and their time are committed to tackling those technology issues. They don't have the ability to, to focus on a, a new tech or, or is also in that. I imagine that, look, if we bring this new technology and this is just something else that we have to find a way to protect or ensure that we can protect. Or is a little that, bit of both. It's that, but I think it's also uh, right now the bandwidth to be able to properly implement a new technology is in short supply. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, with what they're focused on right now to bring patients back into the system to ensure that they're staffed appropriately uh, and that they're protecting the information and and, and generating uh, opportunities to to improve their revenue capture, uh, that's that's pretty much a full time full time job. And and maybe just as a side, one of the conversations that I had with my former uh, SG two colleagues recently uh, said that in terms of the uh, kind of strategy uh, arm of most health systems. Right now, they're dividing that into kind of two two channels, if you will. So they mm-hmm. have one group looking at how do we recover, how do we recover the lost volumes that we had during the pandemic. They're focused on the near term, while the second half is looking more longer term around how do we take the lessons that we've learned from the pandemic and essentially apply those across the entire system. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a bifurcated approach these days to even strategy development. A lot of the long term strategy plans because there aren't a lot of available dollars today. There's not a lot of available bandwidth to be able to implement new strategies have been put on hold for the present time. And so they're looking at how do we recover from the pandemic, bring our volumes back to where they were? How do we get our revenue stream back again? And how do we protect our information from ransomware and cybersecurity threats? That's taken up most of their time these days. Interesting. And then uh, you added, uh, it's uh, addressing staffing and capacity constraints drives broader adoption of command centers in health systems. What are, are, what are command, centers, command centers and why are they important? So uh, across the big health systems, um, uh, uh, command centers have become have become pretty prevalent, I think, uh, in many health systems around the country these days. So the command centers are a central repository where they can look at 
uh, patient volumes and, and bed capacity across the entire enterprise. They can look at what their ED wait times are across the entire enterprise, and they can triage resources to where they need to be to be able to provide effective and efficient care across the entire health system. Uh, and- and, and that also looks at things like length of stay, uh, surgical volume. So it's 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 kind of the typical command center approach where I can look at my enterprise in total and uh, determine where I need to place my resources to effectively provide care to the patients that we serve. And that's been that's been kind of a that helps with staffing levels. Uh, you know what, how many staff you have in each organization for each shift to be able to manage the patients that you have. Do I need to bring in uh, temporary staff to be able to uh, handle the volumes? Uh, are, am I having supply chain problems where I could have a shortage that I need to jump on? So a lot of organizations have moved to that model. So where do we go from here? I mean, I, when you were talking about shortages before, uh, staff shortages, I think of uh, companies like Moon Surgical, which have a, a surgical robot, robot that actually would replace someone in the hospital. That seems like an obvious uh, thing of that would be of interest Re- replace someone in the sur- in the OR I should say not in the hospital like they would hold a, they would hold a, a a device for the surgeon to to free up the surgeon to do something else uh, what sort of technology do you think might get um, I guess might be able to penetrate any sort of barrier do they have to be like obvious time savers uh, person fillers person replacer kind of technologies is there still a market for those things or is all new technology sort of being pushed into the I don't have time for that right now folder? I think I think that um, a lot of the technology conversations have been put on hold, except for what's termed mission critical these days. And I think, uh, you know, I would characterize that the same way that Christina Farr did from Homer's Ventures. It's revenue yep. cycle management. It's it's uh, optimizing um, labor and staff resources uh, and uh, and also uh, kind of solutions to be able to deal with burnout of the healthcare uh, uh, workforce as well. Those are the, those are the ones that get that get priority these days. A lot of other um, things that have been on the uh, been on the wish list. So the nice to have stuff kind of gets put on the back burner, and yep. everybody's focused on this mission critical stuff. So, final question. I mean, we we before I pushed record, uh, I referenced the. We were always told, you know, healthcare and indirectly medical devices are are a uh, hold on a recession, second recession. Proof. Yeah, let me let me let me say our <laughs> recession proof. Yes, thank you. We are not in a recession, not yet, anyway, and hopefully we won't get there. But but who knows? I keep reading different things. But does this sort of put that to bed? Because that was certainly in addition to all the the uh, the pressures you're talking about from the provider side, we're having medical device companies having to deal with the things that everyone else is dealing with: higher interest rates, higher costs, supply chain, uh, lots of cost pressures. Uh, is uh, is the medical device industry, which is more of a nice to have industry, I guess, if we're going to talk about the need to have is is finding ways to make hospitals better. Uh, do you, do you see some some trouble ahead for medical device companies, big and small? I do. Uh, unfortunately, I think the next 12 to 18 months are going to be challenging for a lot of medical device companies, just for the reasons that we've already discussed. Um, uh, you know, when when I've talked to in my work at Matter, when I've talked to some of the health system providers that 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 subscribe to uh, Matter services, uh, and I ask what are the top three things that you're focused on right now, what I get back all the time is staffing, staffing, and staffing. 
And so uh, kind of the technology end of it, again, if it addresses a staffing concern or if it helps with revenue cycle management, yep. there's, there's, a, there's a receptive audience to that. But I think um, uh, on the kind of medical device side, uh, kind of new technologies that are coming out, unless they can prove a quick return on investment, you know, and, and we're talking, you know, we're talking these days, uh, uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, uh, it's finding a finding a willing audience to kind of sit, sit listen to have that conversation when boards are concerned right now about getting their uh, margins back up into the positive territory becomes a big challenge for organizations. I think that's tough. And then if you if you factor in kind of the growth opportunities in terms of volumes over the next ten years, my former colleagues at SG Two Vizient are projecting that over the next ten years, inpatient volumes are only going to grow about four mm-hmm. percent. More of those volumes are going to be acute care uh, issues around it. Uh, and outpatient volumes are only going to grow around sixteen percent over ten years. So you've got the kind of marginal growth opportunities on the inpatient side, a shift in care to more outpatient facilities, which mm-hmm. has a little bit better growth potential uh, for the next 10 years. Uh, you couple that with kind of the cost pressures that people are under these days and the staffing pressures that they're under these days. And that means that trying to get a receptive audience to big ticket technology items is going to be difficult, I think. It's going to be a tough lift for the next 12 to 18 months. All right. Well, not exactly what folks want to hear, but uh, but I think uh, on point and uh, very helpful. So, Henry, thank you for uh, returning to the Device Talks weekly podcast. Tom, thank you very much for inviting me again. I enjoyed it. All right. Next up is our interview with Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group. But before we start that, I want to let you know that we've resumed Device Talks Tuesdays. It's back, season four. We've had two episodes so far. We will be back Tuesday at 4 p.m. with a great presentation by BioT. It's called Cloud Native Medical Devices, a Game-Changing Architecture. So this is going to be a discussion centered around the secret of the architecture of devices that can be found in the home, that can be delivering diagnostic care or measuring vitals in your home. Uh, Examples include blood and stool diagnostics, using cameras installed in the toilet, virus diagnostics, so lots of cool things that are happening in the home, medical devices that are being brought closer to our lives. So if you want more information about how cloud-native medical devices work, just sign up. Go to devicetalks.com, register for this webinar. Again, it's happening live 4 p.m. on March 7th. You can watch it live. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to take your questions. You can also watch it on demand. So you can watch it at your leisure, but you do need to register, and it's free. And again, you can build your brand. You can expand your, your skill set. It's a win-win. So go to devicetalks.com. Look for the Device Talks Tuesdays tab. You'll see it right under events. And just register, sign up, and expand your brand. All right. Now let's begin this interview with Joe Mullings of the Mullings Group. Well, Joe Mullings, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, Tom, always great. I'm a huge fan of Device ah. Talks. That's kind of you, and uh, same here. Uh, your 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 content quality is 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 what I strive to someday be when I when I when I grow up. I want to be uh, want to be doing what you're doing. Your your setup is amazing. So uh, thanks for joining us on this tiny this tiny little little podcast. Uh, um, so bringing you in, and, and I'm grateful for you making yourself available because we're talking about sort of the state of medtech, the state of healthcare, uh, the theme that we've been. Exploring in this episode is is we've I, I I always grew up being told 
uh, since my career started anyway, not when I was a boy, that healthcare is 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 a recession resistant, and that that you know certainly there'll be good times and bad, but. When the economies, the economic pressures kind of come upon us, that people will always need healthcare, and uh, healthcare will always find growth. And clearly, there is there is growth going on, but we're seeing a lot, a lot of stripe as well. Um, we've had a lot of reported layoffs from medical device companies. Some of those have been brought on by um, by problems within the company. A lot, I think, have been sort of macro pressure. Uh, we're seeing in- increased pressure from interest rates, from supply chain, from costs and everything that 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 are weighing down on metal device companies. And and we're beginning to hear on social media and through other channels that more layoffs may be coming. So I really wanted to kind of get ahead of this and sort of provide some context for folks because I just get a feeling that, and and I know you do too, that there there's more coming and maybe more than a feeling. But before we get into that, I, I, I want to, I want to sort of Give some context to the Mullings Group and to your work with metal device companies, not as uh, a commercial, but but uh, as give people an understanding of how you work with these companies. What's your relationship with these companies? You do more than just provide uh, 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 executives there. You've you are in the rooms. You're talking with folks. You're talking with the executives, and you understand sort of where they're coming from. How does the Mullings Group work within the medical device industry and with these specific medical device companies? Uh, thanks, Tom. So, look, uh, TMG Mullings Group's been around. For 32 years in med tech, we're based on pure numbers, the number one search firm in the world. We've had more than 8,000 successful assignments completed by us. Um, it, um, emerging tech companies, startups, venture capital back, and the big strategics. Uh, you know, we've built companies like Verb and Oris and Corindus, you know, that are, you know, headlines today. I've uh, worked closely with J&J, Medtronic. So the big ones and the small ones. And, you know, I've been privileged over my 32 years and tens of thousands of conversations with executives from the big strategics down to startups. And, you know, I, I get... I get the conversations that are going on and the strategies that are going on in these in these industries, and not me, but we're a forty person firm, mm-hmm. um, and and so we get to have a pretty good insight and an algorithm over time. And we've been through the ups and downs, as you called it. Look, health tech, med tech is resistant, not proof, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like something water resistant is different than waterproof, <laughs> <laughs> right? We've learned that the hard way. <laughs> and inflammable and flammable will mean the same thing. So That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, we are in an incredibly interesting time in this convergence of, you know, coming out of January, February, and March, 2020 with the pandemic. And then the supply chain flex that went on there, and we can cut into that a little bit. And then the over overabundance and the excitement over digital, you know, and, and we can go into those telehealth platforms as well and the convergence there mm-hmm. and the investors that probably should have got into med tech that never did and shouldn't have got into med tech that probably should have never got in and the overvaluation in the venture community and the venture community now not wanting to have a flat or down round when all they should care about is, are you going to be alive and exit? And then, the big strategics, you know, we, we, we get to sit and listen to them and, and understand the dynamics that are going on there when people are leaving those companies and telling us as they go to their new company, what's driving them out of their organization. Mm, what are the behaviors? Mm-hmm. What, are, what, what are the business decisions? What are the distractions? Because individuals care. I will tell you this. Individuals in this industry have a chance to go to other industries and make more money. Every single one of them. Hmm. This isn't the highest paying industry. 
but it is the highest paying industry on the karma train. Like you get a front <laughs> seat in this industry because of your choice to stay in it. And people are incredibly have a high level of allegiance to their organizations. Um, and then when they feel like they're not being served any longer in their own professional development or decisions are being made that they can't wrap their head around, that's when shifts occur in the industry. And then I and my team listen to those mm -hmm. as, a, as an analyst on a chair and a couch about what's going on. So, so we get to, and, and I'll, I'll never reveal anything that is sacred nor illegal, but we get to hear things that give us an indication of where things are going from a broad perspective. Fascinating. No, and that's and that's exactly why why we have you here. So, so take us into the rooms uh, of the larger, the, the C suites right now. Uh, the conversations you've had maybe over the last year since the pandemic has quote unquote lifted, but pricing pressures, cost pressures, interest rates, supply chain persisting problems have, have continued. What what is the the uh, the mood? It sounds a little light, but what is the the mindset of our C level of of some of the C level executives? in medical devices that you've talked to? Is there a feeling of concern? Is there a feeling of we're going to get through this? Where, where, where are people at? Well, the good news is we always get through this, right? Yep, There's no point. question about that. We always get through this. We come out the other side, you know. Um, in fact, when COVID started, we started a podcast called uh, The Other Side because we mm -hmm. didn't know what it was going to look like or when the other side was going to occur. And, and, and we're on the other side now with the dynamic that we could not have expected. So when we look at, let's start with the large strategics, Tom. Um, and, and, you know, we can call those J and J Medtronic Baxter. I include Edwards. I include intuitive on there. And what you get there is they're all facing supply chain issues, right? And, and, and some of them are facing different supply chain issues than others. So let's, as an example, let's take an intuitive as a supply chain issue. Mm -hmm. So that team has got supply chain issues from a higher tech perspective, meaning um, they're, 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 they're starting to put a lot more pressure on their suppliers as they should be because things are getting tighter. Um, but their components that are usually up-to-date, cutting-edge materials, cutting-edge designs. And then you've got some of the other players like the Medtronics and the J&Js. They've got part of their challenge in the supply chain side is they were making money in spite of themselves Mm -hmm. In spite of their decisions, in spite of them waking up every day, they woke up every day getting mailbox money on, let's take it like their legacy stapling business. Those products have a supply chain that has been ossified and materials that are ossified for 10, 12, 14 years. Mm -hmm. And those materials now, they, they've aged out. And, and so they're not necessarily using the higher tech materials, the higher processes, the higher end things that ends ending up being an issue for them. So supply, and then you've got, how much did I sell into China and how much did I sell into India and how much did I sell into Europe? Because I couldn't get my sales team or my commercial teams in there based on my business model. Mm -hmm. So those are issues there. Um, and while we're on the digital side with just throwing in intuitive Medtronic and J&J, &J. you got to be careful where you pick your fights. You really do. Um, you know, in this last couple of days, it's, it's out in the public domain now. Um, our, our firm has been really affected 
heartbroken because there have been there have been decisions made and actions taken on behalf of just business in general that there have been people downsized mm -hmm. in parts of the minimally invasive surgical robotics soft tissue programs within J and J. These were people who were very close friends of the firm, and they're not kids. They're like adults who have put 20, 30 years of their life into a project or into a company. And it's devastating for them. And it's, it's very rough for us to see friends, you know, this sort of disrupted like that with their careers. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, you're picking a fight in a large format robot against intuitive who all they do every day when they wake up is focus on digital surgery. That's it. They have no other platforms that they have to be distracted by, nor committed to, nor martial resources, intellectual, physical, financial, all that. And candidly, in that large format robotic platform, I think that that's a really dangerous fight to pick. Now, should you be going into digital? Should you be going into robotics? Absolutely. But I'm not sure I would fight the form factor right. of an intuitive, right? So we owe that to our patients to stay in digital, but your core competency is not digital. Your DNA is not digital. And you have made decisions in a digital domain that perhaps may not have been best. So that is incredibly disruptive across the board because there was a large amount of money and, and, and human resources committed towards that. So that area there is tough and, and organizations have overhired, especially you know, I think J and J's increased their sales force and uh, their force in general by 16% over the last two years. That costs money. That that's mm -hmm. a, that that you've got to take care of that expense. They just had a share buyback of six. What was it? Six billion dollars? Five billion dollars on a share buyback? So they've got to take care of their share price. And in the short term, you can't take care of your share price and then cut your R and D budget by 15% like they just did last year. So those are the dynamics happening in a lot of the areas of med tech right now is share price um, 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 preservation, yet you still need to push the window technologically. And internally, you're picking programs that retrospectively, in some cases, but there were others that knew early on in that, why are we picking that fight? Mm -hmm. And that's going on in general. And then the large strategics also are suffering on recalls, lawsuits, yep. right? All this is converging at one point in time. So you talked about the some of the cuts going on. Uh, they're looking at different programs. Do you feel as if there's going to be a regrouping, a retrenchment going on of the larger strategics, more of a prioritization of their legacy systems that they're going to, I guess, roll back from some of the, uh, the border towns that they were in before and really solidify their base? Yeah, I think you're going to do that. And it's just smart to do. We all do that in our lives. I mean, I've had to go back to budgets at times and building my business when we've expanded in other areas. You've got to take a shot on goal on things. Yeah, you really do. I mean, we're, we're, we're a capitalist society. You've got to take a shot on goal and hopefully you learn things as you go there and you readjust, you readjust. Um, but, but I think you will see this digital domain in the large strategics pursued, but in a form factor that fits more adeptly into who they are as an organization, mm -hmm. but not a direct left-hand turn 
um, going after what you know people want to refer to as the 800 pound gorilla. And it's not fair to intuitive because they're not. They're just right. really good at what they do and they focus on one thing. So I do think, I think you're going to start, see a retrenchment. I think you're going to see divestiture of certain product portfolios and the large strategics. You're already seeing that. Um, I think you're going to see some mistaken cleaning of house of headcount that um, were maybe disrespecting tribal knowledge. And that's going to come back. And I'm going to watch in 24 to 36 months on gaps there. Um, and I'm hoping those people get to go to other companies that are small emerging tech companies that are making a product that is better for the patient, that mm -hmm. is better for the provider, um, than maybe what is a legacy product that exists today. Wow. That's, 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 uh, it's a lot that it feels like there's there's a there's a lot coming. Um, so I want to ask about those people who you've referenced who've lost their jobs, who sound like they're my demographic in, in their fifties. Um, I mean, what what is what are the opportunities? Like we had Holly on last uh, two weeks ago talking about ways people can sort of uh, uh, reorient their uh, their careers. I don't want to re. She did a great job. I don't want to restate the conversation. But what are the opportunities for for folks uh, either that have already received word? That they've uh, they've lost a, a senior to a high level position, or they may receive word in the coming weeks that that's indeed what, what's going to happen. Uh, are there ample opportunities at some of the startups you, startups you referenced? Uh, what does that that market look like? Yeah, this is the part where um, it, it sort of it makes us sad because you're, you're looking at people who 15, 20, 25 years at some of these big strategics and and. Um, they, they bet everything on that. Yeah. Like I'm talking about, they bet everything. They were, they were, they were never, they were never lied to, but that environment was built to create a palette for them to do their work on. And it was never it was never really clearly shared with them that things aren't going as good as we hoped. And when you start to look at non-competes and you've spent 15, 20 years in a domain, and that's your core competency. Yeah. And then you have to worry about a non-compete that oftentimes is tied to your severance. So as these people are let go, especially from the large companies, small companies don't give you severance, right? You just, just happens. You, you, you got in that game, but these large organizations that either sit in Cincinnati or sit in New Jersey or sit in Connecticut or sit in Minneapolis, and you have 20 years of this domain knowledge. And then they say, they push a piece of paper across the table from you. And they say, here you go. Here's your severance. And, um, you're, you know, You've got a non-compete, so sign that there. And you can't leverage everything you've learned. This is separate from a non-disclosure. This is separate from a not sharing of IP. Sign that. Here's six months severance. And now you can't relocate because you usually have kids in high school or college. Yeah. If You usually have parents, in-laws or parents in the local area that you're also helping, right? Um, and you've built your world around this. And now, and you're sitting on a house that's worth 600, 900 and interest rates are 8%. And you, where are you going to go? 
And the remote window is shut down, especially for leadership, because they want leadership on site. So if you're a senior manager, director, VP, you're not remote. And you can't fly in and out every week. It's tough. Right. Right. There will be exceptions to this. You know, at each end of the distribution curve, there'll be a couple, but it not not for the number that I believe over the next two to three weeks that are going to be um, displaced in the in the hundreds from a few of the big players. A few of the big players will be the cuts will be in the hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm being conservative on that and in, yeah. in, in, in specific programs. And this is, yeah. And these are people who are elite players in their craft. So I understand what you're saying about the, I guess the term lie kind of, kind of sticks with me. I mean, do you, they were not lied to you. You said explicitly, no, said you said they, they were, were not, not lied, lied to you. you explicitly. Said. To you. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you think though the disconnect was in the in the communication? And maybe I'm maybe this is something that no, that's fine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I you know I've been through. I've mentioned before. I've been through layoffs, and yeah, there's there's a certainly resentment. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe things were misrepresented as to what your value was to the organization. But uh, what what is that disconnect that you're sort of circling? Because it's it's fascinating and it's and it feels personal as well. Yeah, so so this is what I this is what I hope the, the trends have been going this way. So non-compete should be eliminated across the board mm. in our industry and in general in every industry. But in our industry, what they do is they prohibit the ability for individuals to fairly market themselves out in the capitalist public market. And that by design suffocates career development. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a difference between disclosing IP right. and just going out and, and, and looking to see what your value is in the marketplace and individuals all the time on an annual basis should be going on two to three interviews just to see what's in the market, mm -hmm. shop the market, shop the market. And programs oftentimes are slammed shut. And, and I understand that. Look, I'm a business owner. Uh, and I'm not running a $30 billion business. So let's just, let's call it what it is. The dynamics are tremendously different and a publicly traded. So there's only so many things you can divulge as a publicly traded company. But I know individuals are oftentimes, um, non-competes are enforced. Mm. Um, technologies that should probably have been shelved and individuals know that and see the slow death, but they're tied into bonuses, long-term retention, comfort, uh, uh, familiarity, and don't worry, we you're part of big blue, you're part of big red, whatever it is. Yep. That's a tough spot to be in. That's a very tough spot to be in. So look, there's no bad guy or good guy at this, but at the end of the day, when somebody's walking out the door with a box in their hands and 25 years of their professional life was given there, that that's a tough thing to watch. For sure. No, for sure. And, and it's, so, uh, and, and so, and so, you know, coming off the worker, let's, let's look at the rest of the dynamics right now here. Here's where I think the industry is going for those that 
the, the good news is here's where the industry's going. This is a, this is, this is a reset. I think you're going to see divestiture of certain platforms within some of the bigger players. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be good about that is people who can move that technology forward will. And we're starting to see some of those divestitures. You're also going to start to see investment money that should have never got into the market has left. They're not going to come back in. They got burnt, primary and digital, because nobody could ever answer in digital who's going to pay for it, right? We were all enamored with digital. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see as an example, like the telepresence world. I've said for a while, you've got Proxima, you've got Care Syntax, you've got Theator. Separately, those three players all bring something different to a market that's not quite ready for digital telehealth. Mm-hmm. But together, combined, they create a great potential solution across the board. I think you're going to start to see more of those JVs come together. If you can get the investors and the venture people who invested in that to think intelligently about that and the product unlocks there. I think the startup world, we've experienced it, has been tight over the last couple of months Mm -hmm. because they're just looking at the rest of the runway that they've got to endure with the spend that they've got in place. Raising an A round right now is very challenging. Raising a B and C round, it's there. But if you look at the dynamics of venture, a 10-year fund is a 10-year fund. In that 10-year fund, you could maybe make six to seven investments. And most of those investments are made in the first three or four years. And the climate we're in right now is that usually when you go out for another round, you need a lead. Well, right now, if everybody's got their dry powder for their existing investments, you could no longer get a lead for the next round because people are saving their financing for the next round. So you can't get a lead. Therefore, you can't get other investors to come in. I think all of this changes mid to late 2023 on the venture side. And the good news is, is venture doesn't have to worry about revenue. They actually are like a shark. They have to keep moving forward with the pursuit of an IDE, a PMA, a 510K, or proof of principle, which is why that industry in 20 and 21, while everybody else who needed revenue to put points on the board was so robust and actually got carried away candidly because they didn't have to worry about anything other than pushing a technology forward. So I think we're going to be okay there. And I do think the big companies, the big strategics, the top 10 or 15 I forecast that you're going to see heavy acquisition by the strategics continue. You know, you saw J&J pick up Abiumed, great move, great company, arguably between Mike Masalam and, and Mike Minogue, two of the best CEOs that the medtech industry has seen in 20 years, mm-hmm. unfortunately, both retiring this year. I think you're going to see a brilliant move by J&J, heart failure. I'm looking for a fast follow on them to get into structural heart because those markets are connected. I'd even go on the market and say, maybe they pick up the number one or number two structural heart player who's independent right now in the industry because that's what J&J has to do. That's what Mm -hmm. Medtronic has to do. The R&D spend is not there inside those organizations. Innovation is going to come from outside in. And that's good news for the small companies and it's good news for the specialty organizations. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good, it's, the, it's good news ahead, but we are going to go through a bit of a reckoning over the next six to nine months, in my opinion, but I don't see a lot of downsizing beside, besides what we're going to go through in the first three or four months. I think, I think we're going to clean house. We're going to take advantage to take a beating on Q1 numbers 
Um, and I do believe at that point, everything will settle in. So have you registered for Device Talks Boston yet? Did I mention that the Mullings Group folks will be there? So uh, you really should get on that. Go to devicetalks.com. Register before March 9th. You'll save $300 off the registration price. devicetalks.com. Back to the interview. Well, clearly over the next uh, few months, we're going to, uh, I guess, have a bit of a reckoning and, and we're going to, uh, I guess, get a reset. And, and as you said, hopefully in 2023, there'll be some uh, some opportunities for folks to, 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 and for the industry to move forward. But here we are in, I'm sorry, 2024. Did you say 2023, 2024? I think this- we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay by the back half of 2023, but we'll be a lot more sober okay. and it'll settle. Yeah. Great. So that's, I don't know, for some reason I had myself back a few months. So sooner than I thought, but this is the opportunity when I think the things start to go south a bit where we can learn our lessons and take stock and wonder perhaps we sh- something should have been done differently. What, what's your takeaway from the last couple of years? You mentioned some of the spending before, but what uh, what did the strategics do well? What did they do not so well in your opinion? And what might they do differently going forward? So look, the, the strategics are critically critically important because they set the pace of everything in here. What, 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 what's coming up right now is a ver- another interesting that I want to touch on it before we head out. That is another hornet's nest that needs to be looked at. And right now I think has been, people have gone to sl- sleep on. The street strategics have another big challenge coming up ahead of them. And it's an opportunity for the small guys and girls. Hmm. It's the changing centers of care is hospitals are never going to go away. But the rate at which ambulatory surgical centers and alternative centers of care are expanding right now um, in ortho and cardio and interventional um, in fem health um, and neuro, these focus factories are starting to open up and they're independently owned or they're owned by private equity and the call points are going to change. And historically, big strategics have had a chance on these big group purchasing contracts in order to keep technologies out that really are better than the current standard of care. But we are watching these emerging tech companies get involved in guerrilla warfare, getting down to, as an example, bariatric surgery and getting a device in a surgeon's hand and ASC that if not before would have never made its way into a hospital. And so now these large strategics now have to start setting up a sales process and a go-to-market and commercial process in an area where these ASCs are manned by, by big B school MBAs mm-hmm. who are different than the administrators in a hospital. And these MBAs are taught to force rank the top seven expenditures and start carving out the expenses there. And I think the number is something like 70% of the expense of a medical device to a call point is the salesperson. Hmm. So now you start taking that away from these group contracts and the ability to make a call point to a hospital. And now you go into this fragmented ASC model. That's a whole nother hornet's nest that's going to raise its head towards the strategics. That's going to come in the second half of 2023. So that's another area that I'm hoping and expecting they're smarter than I am. They are staying ahead of. So the lessons learned is Make sure you stay in technologies that are your core competency. Mm-hmm. Don't go too far out. Boil the ocean a cup at a time. Stop trying to boil the whole damn ocean with technologies. Get rid of non-competes. Eliminate them. It'll be better for you because you'll be able to hire people from other organizations who will bring fresh blood in. Mm-hmm. And it'll just make the market better. 
and decentralization. And if you're going to go after high tech, take that high tech out of corporate and legitimately create a, a, a facility off away from the influence. Look, Globus did this intelligently, mm-hmm. right? David Paul put his robotic company up in Methuen, Massachusetts with Norbert Johnson and said, make me a robot and I'm going to stay out of your hair. Mm-hmm. And, and they, in a number of years, came out with best-in-class spinal robot. Now, is it perfect? No. You know, they probably could have had a little bit more of corporate oversight in a couple areas, but damn, they got to market with a product that is best-in-class. So if you're going to put your toe in the pool as a big strategic and you're going to step into that digital world where it's not your DNA, create an entirely new environment, put a moat around it, off-balance sheet it, like Google did with Verily, and just go. But do not try and mix the DNA. If we haven't learned that lesson yet in digital surgery, as an example, with J&J and Medtronic on the soft tissue robotic programs, I don't know if we're ever going to learn that lesson. Yeah, that's a great point. And in, in, in my conversation with Gary Guthard at our Device Talks West meeting, where I asked about the, the rising competition from the other medical device players and how he views it, his take was interesting. He kind of did a little little uh, judo on me, and he really sees it as we're we are a robotics company, surgical robotics company now, but we're moving to become a medical device company because soon enough, everything is going to be surger, surgical robotics going to be touching or robotics is going to be touching everything, and there's going to be no difference between medical devices and robotics. So, uh, to your point about staying with uh, with what you know, uh, I think they're doing a, a great job of, of that. Uh, earlier on, I think you said there were digital health, there were investor, digital health investors who should not have gotten involved in medtech and did. And I also think you said there were some that should have but did not. I'm curious, who who were the uh, entities that you would like to have seen participate in the medical device industry that didn't? Well, I would have liked to have seen. You know, you've seen Apple tip their toe in there yeah. back and forth. Um, would have loved to have seen them, and and you know, I'm not saying they're not right now. I, I know a couple very, very, very smart people who have been in and out of there. Um, I would have loved to have seen Google continue into that space, but they pretty much punted on it. But they really needed to get that med tech. And I I sat on the Google campus for two plus years with Verb. They needed to get that out of there and allow the company to make a medical device and understand how to work with the FDA and allow their egos to um, respectfully work with the FDA because that's the biggest (laughs) issue with some of these high tech companies is they disrespect disrespect the FDA and want to spar with them intellectually. And you just don't do that right or wrong evidence-based argument, you don't spar with the FDA. And I think that's also why companies like Apple and uh, Google uh, end up coming in and out because they they, they just can't commercialize a product that way. Um, I, I want to come back to Gary for a quick second. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think the world of intuitive uh, for what they've done. Well, Gary, what I, what I think Gary probably alluded to was the following is, is, is the data off of the digital machine. So robotics will become ubiquitous because a robot's a robot. It's merely a delivery system of data. And it's getting that data and then integrating that data with the electronic health records and then looking at 
What was the preoperative state of that patient? What happened in the surgery? What did the workflow go like? Mm -hmm. What happened post? What happened in rehab? And how do we aggregate all that digital information to create patterns and analytics that will allow us a higher level of predictability? The strategics can do that. And it doesn't have to be on a robot. So I listened to your talk with Gary, and it's easy to get caught up in aligning that with a robot. If we step away for a second and say, how do I onboard sensors, mm -hmm. which are now becoming cheaper and a higher fidelity signal? And how do I put those on my existing analog devices as a big strategic? And then how do I get into the hospitals to say, let's share our data and we will give you an evidence-based argument, as Gary said, not a white paper, an evidence-based argument on showing you why the use of our device or our platform or our system is better for you, better for the patient, and better for the 18% GDP that's costing this country in our healthcare. That's where strategics should get digital, and they shouldn't be worrying about big form factor robotics right now. Mm -hmm. that, 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 I think, was the takeaway on the one that no, Gary shared with you. I'm glad you were, you were listening closer than I was. No, I think that's, that's a great point. Now, one, one company we haven't talked about uh, surgical robotics wise is Stryker. Um, you know, they obviously acquired Mako close to 10 years ago. Seems to be fit well into the business. They're, they've, they've got plans for the robotic going system going forward. Is Do you see that as a model that, that works and should have been replicated? Uh, just buying a system that's that's already developed and that, that was starting to build a market. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think Stryker is might be one of the best run strategics in the industry, candidly. Um, yeah, they, they, they know what they're good at. Um, respectfully, an ortho robot's incredibly different than a soft tissue robot. Fair point. So, 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 so a hip or a knee robot is, is orders of magnitude simpler than a soft tissue robot. So, mm -hmm. so, so that, that that's, and also the adoption rate by ortho surgeons in that area is a lot higher. Uh, than soft tissue, so you know you don't you don't you don't have that headwind there. What what is interesting about Stryker is Stryker is quietly insinuating themselves into the entire healthcare system. They bought that comms company for three billion dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, three billion dollars last January in twenty twenty two. I think um, they're they're starting to look at acquisitions that are not pure med tech plays, but are insinuating themselves into the healthcare continuum. They're, they, they, they're setting up strategies to go after the ASCs in a very unique way. You know, Word on the street also has it that they are looking at a soft tissue robot platform. Um, which I would love to see them come in. You know, is, is that is that a CMR? Is that in a census? Is that is that one of the existing platforms as you brought up? Um, is it a partnership? I I think we're going to see medtech more than ever. Tom, twenty twenty three is going to be the year we're going to be able to demark and say people stop trying to do things themselves, mm -hmm. and the the JVs and the cross licensing. And the off-balance sheet development of technologies with another company with a shared rev model, this is going to be the year that was the catalyst for that to occur. Great point. And, and I want to end on that point, but I also uh, I want to add that. And I, and I, before we pushed record, this has been a kind of a, a difficult conversation for me. We talk about people's careers and their highs and their lows, and it's fun to sit. It's, I feel like I'm sitting across someone at a bar and just asking about them just because I love to ask people questions. This is real life. People are, 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 are going to hear bad news soon, or they already have. And uh, it's an industry that you and I both care for. So I'd like to end on just uh, someone who's listening to this, 
now or in a couple of weeks, if they've received bad news or if they're just fearful, what are what are your what's your message to them to sort of get us to the point where I think you're pointing where interests have been realigned, priorities have been reexamined, and folks are back to doing companies are back to doing things that they're really good at. Yeah. So look, first of all, there's probably I would consider a dozen great headhunters in the med tech industry. Speed dial all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Number one. Number two is hit your network on LinkedIn. The people, you know, people there are caring. I'm watching it today with some of the announcements that went on in the last two or three days with J and J. Hunker down and 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 be flexible at the same time. C- consider consulting gigs. Look here. Here's something else. Look at the contract world. You know, no commercial here, Tom. We just launched our contracting interim business. Hmm. I got four calls from J and J people today and one from another strategic today that they're worried about their job. The four from J and J were really recently alerted that they were going to be wrapping up at the end of March. I already have got four or five calls thinking about them in interim roles. At least I can bridge them instead of the 220,000 a year they're making right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe I get them at a run rate on a contractor for a little while. Like there's all kinds of contractor roles available if you're willing to do that, you don't need it. Go get it. Go form an LLC. Call your favorite headhunters, not even your favorite, all of them. Get on their <laughs> radar screen. Consider contracting across the board. It keeps you in the game. And a lot of times it's try before you buy on both ends. Like I can give you a dozen others, but those are the big lifts right there. Um, open to network on LinkedIn. Times like this eats into my business. Why? Because great people have been let go. And my clients now can find them without in using a search firm. I don't care. Yeah. What we care about, and we always have in 32 years, is elevating the market, elevating the, the technology, the healthcare industry. Get out there, stay active, put yourself on the field, don't be proud. Um, and you know, my people, Holly, Matt, Wes, me, Blasco, uh, Thomas, Michael, I mean, all of us who have been in this industry for years and years and years. Now's the time to pick up the call. And I tell the people, people remember these days. Mm-hmm. People remember who did what for who. And this is the time. Yep, well said. And uh, it was great to have Holly Scott on a couple of weeks ago. It's great to have you on this week. Uh, and uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking again as uh, as the times become more interesting. So, Joe Mullings, thanks for, uh, for joining us on the podcast. Tom, thanks for everything you do for the industry as well. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you, Henry Sock and Joe Mullings for providing those perspectives. Uh, once again, this was a, a difficult conversation or a couple of conversations to have. Normally, we uh, we look at the brighter side here in MedTech, but it's hard to ignore that uh, the storm clouds above. So we hope you are all well. Uh, we hope this podcast finds you well. We hope if you've been impacted or are impacted in the future, that there is some hopeful and helpful tips here and some some hopeful outcomes. Uh, let us know at Device Talks if there's something we can do to help. We do hope you join us at Device Talks Boston, which is happening May 10th and 11th, and I hope you do take advantage of the early bird rate. It's a great networking opportunity. And uh, do check out Device Talks Tuesdays. Those are free and a great way to build your skill set. And, uh, and let us know how you're doing. You can find us on LinkedIn. I am Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. You can find Chris Newmarker as a new marker on LinkedIn as well. 
connect with us there. Please do share this podcast episode with everyone, anyone who you think would benefit, but anyone who you think would enjoy it. Uh, when you do, tag Chris Newmarker and or myself, and uh, we'd love to be part of that conversation. Please do subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You will get episodes, future episodes of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast, Striker Talks, and we'll have one of those coming out next week, Intuitive Talks, and we should have one of those coming out next week as well. And uh, it'll send directly to your, your listening device. And we'll also have Boston Scientific Talks coming out later this month. And of course, don't forget Medtronic Talks. It has its own channel. You can subscribe to that as well. And you will be uh, quite up to date on all that's going on in MedTech. Once again, join us on Tuesday for Device Talks Tuesdays. Go to devicetalks.com to register for that. And while you're there, sign up. Last chance. Last time I'll say it, Device Talks Boston. Early bird rate expires March 9th. So please don't wait. It's going to be a great couple of days. That's it, folks. Uh, Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. 